Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, asking Him to uh, make us hearers of the Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a great shepherd. Like Jacob guarded sheep for his wife, so you have guarded us, your people. And like sheep, we have all gone astray, everyone unto himself. So without your guidance and without your voice and without your word, without your prophets, we have no hope. We will lose our way. We will stumble into the traps of our own sin and our own flesh. We will fall into the hands of our enemies. We will become a mockery to your name. God, in this time we ask that you would strengthen us by your word. May your word transform our minds. May it conform our hearts, the very will of our being. May it be submitted in these moments to you through the power of your word. We pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for your churches gathered in our community. Oh God, give strength to Bob St. John as he approaches the word this morning. I praise your name for a man who stands faithfully on your word and proclaims it. God, I ask that you would give Bob free utterance, that he would not lack in any way this morning, that he would go clothed in your gospel, bringing peace to the people of Anniston Bible Church and through Anniston Bible Church to this community. Oh God, may you convert souls this morning, not only at Grace Fellowship, but also at Anniston Bible Church. And we don't just pray for those at Anniston Bible Church, but we pray also for Rick Searle. As he goes to your word this morning, wherever he may be in the word, may he see Christ clearly. And may the people see Christ because of him. Oh Jesus, would you shepherd the people in faith. God, may you raise up a generation at faith that is faithful to you. God, may you have mercy on them this morning as they approach your word. May their eyes be open. May their ears be attentive. May their hearts and their minds be conformed. We pray not only for Grace Fellowship, God, that I would be able to proclaim and that you would make this messenger your messenger, but we pray for your other messengers. God, we pray that you would be glorified as united around the globe, your word is proclaimed and your glory is extolled and your name is extended to those who have never heard. It is in your great name we pray, Jesus. Lord, your name forevermore. Amen. God calls us to faithfulness. God doesn't just simply assume that His people will be faithful. He actively calls us to faith. In Hosea chapter 12, verse beginning in verse 2, we see that the barrel of prophecy is now turned not only just to Israel, the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes of Israel, but also to the southern tribes in Judah. You know, Hosea was a prophet to the northern tribes, and there were prophets also in his day 
to the southern tribes. His main objective in this, in this work, in his letter, in his prophecies, has been towards the northern people. But every now and then, a few lines here and a few lines there, he includes Judah in his warning. Now, there's a, there's a reason for that. Israel, the northern tribes, have gone further in their idolatry. Idolatry has become commonplace. You noticed as Richard read God's Word that it said they stacked stones in their plowed fields and made altars. Did you notice that? Maybe that slipped by your radar screen. Do you see how common idolatry had become? That in the open fields, in the places where they spent their daily toil and work, in those places they made altars and worshipped idols. In other words, idolatry in the northern tribes had become a way of life. Now, the northern tribes are called Ephraim, also Israel, and most often they are associated with their father Jacob. Okay? But today, just so that we don't get the idea that the southern tribes are free of guilt, God sends a message to them through Hosea. They are not as far down the path of destruction. There's still hope for Judah. There's still a yearning of God to bring them to obedience before they are destroyed. Now we know in history, because we're on this side of the destruction, not only did the northern tribes go off into captivity, but just a few hundred years later, the southern tribes themselves went into captivity. They didn't heed the warning. They didn't listen to God's word to them. And so there is a testimony to us, isn't it? God's Word is for us. Moses says, whatever God has revealed, it is for you and for your children. Far be it from Grace Fellowship to not listen to God's Word and to not obey His commands. If we do, we will be like the northern and southern tribes of Israel. We will be led off into the captivity of sin and we will face our enemies with no strength from our God. Judah is in the eye of Hosea as he prophesies in chapter 12 beginning in verse 2. First of all, I want to review for you again, just bring us up to date. The messages prior to today have focused on God's redeeming love in several ways, not the least of which, over and over, has been His redeeming love through judgment. Remember that in Israel, there are those who are believers and there are those who are unbelievers. Just like in the church today, there are those who are believers in Christ and there are those who are pretending to believe in Christ. And God's Word says that the judgment of God begins at His own house and then spreads to the nations. What does He mean? He means He is winnowing His church. In our day, the church is being shaken like a winnower shakes his wheat. And the husks are being separated from the grain. The lost man is being made evident in our day. The churches which do not keep a pure gospel are being harrowed out, left to be burned and judged. God says, 
Oh yes, judgment is coming for those who won't believe in Christ. But for those who say with their mouth that they believe in Christ, yet in their hearts are far from Him, judgment begins with you. It began with Israel. It will begin with the church. It began with Israel in Hosea's day, and it spread even to Judah and then to the nations. In this passage in Hosea, in these first chapters we have seen continually, his redeeming love is proven by his desire to discipline his people. God's discipline, God's winnowing of his people, God's shaking them to bring the true believer to the surface is not punishment as much as it is correction and rebuke. The loving words of a brother are to be favored over the kind words of an enemy. God lives out His own proverb. He shakes us. Some of you have been shaken to your very core through these messages. You've got less confidence now in your faith than you had before. And today's message might be hope and help for you. I hope that it is. Let's look at this passage. As we talk about the trial of faith, the test of faith, God calling us to faith. How does He call us to faith? God calls us to enduring faith that focuses on Christ. Almost nobody in our day will rebut that faith is helpful and needed. Nobody. As a matter of fact, our world is filled with people that talk about faith, isn't it? Faith is almost a common denominator among people in our day. Spirituality is a common thing in our day. But that spirituality is not focused on Christ often, is it? And the faith which is talked of among our friends and family is often just faith in general. God doesn't call us to faith in general. God says, have faith which endures and is focused on Christ. Look at these first verses with me, beginning in chapter 12, verse 2. First of all, Judah is called to examine the life of their father Jacob. Now let's look at this together. The Lord has an indictment against Judah, the southern tribes. He will punish Jacob according to his ways. Jacob was the forefather of the people of Israel. Don't you remember in Genesis and in Exodus and on through the Scriptures that often God is called the Father, God, the God of who? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is a collective way for Hosea to talk, not just to the northern tribes, who Jacob is most identified with, but also with the two southern tribes that haven't gone as far down the road of rebellion as the northern tribes. I will punish him according to his ways. Then he tells three consecutive stories about Jacob. And we're going to turn to them. I know that maybe... In your years in church, uh, I was actually talking with another person about this a couple of weeks ago. I know that often in your days in church, when the pastor began to have you flip places, 
he was straying from the point, okay? And I'm not saying I never do that. But please, please, as I go through this passage, it would be impossible to preach this passage unless we go back to Genesis and hear these stories that, that Hosea is drawing on in their context. Because see, in verse 3, look what he says. No introduction about who Jacob is. No explanation. Because the people in Hosea's day knew the story, right? But so many of you probably don't know the story. So many in our day don't understand the history. Look what he says. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us. The Lord of God, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. These three stories about Jacob. Okay? Now we want to look at them and apply them to our lives. We want to apply how Hosea applied them, and then we want to move to how does it apply to me? That's what you came here to know, right? You want to know how does this impact me where I live? Let's see if we might come to grips with this scripture. Judah is called to examine the life of Jacob for a reason. Jacob, Jacob was a man of deceit. Jacob got his name because he was a supplanter. He was a thief. He was dishonest. He was a conniver. And yet God is saying to Judah, there was a quality in your father Jacob which you lack. We want to know what that quality is. I haven't mentioned it, have I? I'm not going to tell you to go home and be more deceitful, obviously. And I'm not going to tell you to be more conniving in your ways, obviously. So there's got to be something to this man Jacob and to his life. Let's look back in our, in our Bibles to Genesis. Hold your place in Hosea because we're going to go back and forth and back and forth. Look with me at Genesis 25. He tells him to examine the life of Jacob. Judah, you better look back at. Jacob. And the first story he gives is from his birth. In the womb, he grabbed his brother's heel. Now let's look at this birth. We know that Abraham was promised a son. And he was given the son. His name was Isaac. And then Isaac married and he was promised children. And he had children. His children were twins. And let's look at how they were born. These are the generations of Isaac, verse 19. Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. The daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram. The sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac didn't take a Canaanite for a wife. Isaac went back to the people of his mother and father and took a wife. And now let's see what happens. He's 40. He's old. Isn't he? Ancient. 
40. God must not be going to keep his promise. How will he father children? He's old. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. It doesn't say it in this text, but for 20 years he must have prayed for his wife because when he had his boys, he was 60. Isaac prayed for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her. She thought she was going to miscarry because they were so rambunctious in the womb. If it is thus, what? If the promise is true, why is it happening this way? She thought she was going to lose her children. But look what God says. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The promise of God was given to Rebekah. You're not going to miscarry these children. Rather, these two boys in your womb will be nations. I'm going to bless them. Esau was blessed by God. Jacob was blessed by God. We're going to see some of that blessing. Not just spiritually, but physically Jacob was blessed. Esau was blessed. He multiplied many times over. He became a great nation. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, his body like a hairy cloak. A baby only a mama could love. So they called his name Esau. After his brother came out with his, what? Hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. What does that mean? Yaakov. He's a cheat. Now, you may not know the meaning of your name, but what if you knew the meaning of your name was you're a cheat? Not a great beginning. And yet this is the man that's being held up as an example to Judah. A liar, a cheat, a swindler, a dishonest man, a usurper, a conniver. And he gives this trait to us. This is what I think we take from this first story in Jacob's life. He was, even in the womb, tenacious. Not justified in his sin, but refused to not be blessed. The struggle that's going on there, spiritually, I believe, I represented for us in this story, is that he was wanting to be the firstborn. I don't think the baby knew that. Don't get me wrong. But when it's used in the Bible, I really believe what God's trying to say is he had a great desire to be first. He had a wonderful desire to be blessed. The first story we see in Hosea is that this child, Jacob, grabbed his brother's heel and showed his character even in the womb. How do I know it's his character? 
you say. Isn't that an assumption? No. Look at the very next words of Hosea in verse 3. He took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he struggled with God. This isn't just a baby trait. This isn't just a coincidence at birth. God is saying this is the man Jacob's character. That when he wants something, he struggles for it. He's tenacious after it. He refuses to quit until he receives it. Judah, you're going to be punished. You best look back to Jacob, your father, who grabbed his brother by the heel at birth and who even dared to wrestle with God as a man. Jacob's first story is his birth. His second story is in that line in verse 3. He, as an adult, strove with God. He wrestled with God. Where did that happen? Well, turn back to Genesis in chapter 32. Jacob grows up, and Jacob goes off uh, after having stolen his brother's birthright and after having stolen and tricked and connived his way into the blessing. Then Esau says, when our father dies and he's old, he's going to die soon. I'm going to kill that cheat. He grabbed my heel when we were born. He favored, he's been favored in our household. He's a mama's boy, and I'm going to get him. When he comes to mourn for my father, I will slay him. That was Esau's word. And Rebecca heard it and said, Jacob, if you don't leave, your brother will kill you. Jacob was a little effeminate, probably, in comparison with his brother. He hung around the tents. He didn't like to hunt. His brother loved to hunt. He didn't really like his dad that much because his dad was kind of a manly man, a great warrior, Isaac was. But he loved his mama. He learned to cook. He learned to be deceitful because his mother herself was deceitful. And she even encouraged his deceit. Do you remember? We're not going to read the story, but do you remember when he was blessed? Well, how that all occurred? He took the birthright, and then that wasn't enough. This younger brother wanted the blessing. So what did he do? He clothed himself in Esau's clothes that smelled like the woods. He put the skin of an animal over his hands and his arms so when his dad reached up and touched him, he would feel hairy like his brother and not soft. Isaac, eyes failing him sitting there on his invalid bed, says, It is the voice of my son, Jacob, but it is the hand of my boy, Esau. And just, he's not convinced until he leans up to pray over him and give him the blessing, remember? And he said, It's the smell of my boy, Esau. He blesses him. He gives him everything. And then Jacob leaves. He's stolen the birthright. He's stolen. He's stolen the blessing. Though he's their ancestor, I'm not so certain the people of Israel really liked Jacob that much. Oh, they liked it when God said, I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac. But Jacob, come on. Why couldn't we be the descendants of Esau, a man's man? Well, God 
in his sovereignty, loved Jacob and made Israel the descendants of that boy, Jacob. And now he's telling his descendants in Judah and in Israel, look back to your father and see what it was in his character that made him so tenacious. Look in the passage here in 32, Genesis 32. The second story is about wrestling with God. The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He's headed back into his land. Esau is still alive. He, Jacob, is scared to death that his brother's going to kill him. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Now, Jacob's going to meet Esau, and he, he starts dividing up his possessions and sending them as a bribe to Esau. 200 sheep and 20 rams and 20 camels. He kept sending wave after wave of possessions to Esau to say, I know you may still hate me, but you can have all of my things. He lastly takes his own children and his wives and sends them as servants to Esau. He commanded his servant, when you're asked, whose, whose possession are you? Not to say, I'm Jacob's, but to say, I'm from your brother Jacob and now am your servant Esau. Jacob was giving away his wives, his possessions, his children, and now he's all alone. He's all by himself. The people of Judah are being told, look at your father Jacob. Now we're beginning to see, not only was he tenacious, but he was stripped of his possessions. He was brought to humility. He was all alone at the Jabbok. And look what happened. All along here, God has been drawing him. Look what he says. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was tenacious. He would not relent until he was blessed. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, I'm a cheat. I'm a usurper. I'm a thief. I'm no good. Jacob was alone. No one to protect him. Wrestling with this man in the break of day when asked his name. He did not say, I'm Abraham's son, I'm Isaac's son, I'm the blessed son, I'm the progenitor of a great nation. He said, I am a cheat. I am a swindler. I am a liar. I am a thief. I am a sinner. Just by saying his name, Jacob, he's admitting, I am rotten in sin to the core. 
I am undone. I have no hope. And the man replied, Your name shall not be Jacob any longer. But Israel, Israel shall be your name. The prince of God. The son of God. Judah is being instructed to look at Jacob not because he was a swindler and a cheat, but because as a swindler, a cheat, a liar, a thief, a sinner, he dared to wrestle with God until his heart was converted. When he was renamed, he was converted. I would say to this point, though he has the birthright and the blessing, he is not a believer. God is calling him to faith. But at this moment, when he's asked, who are you? What is your name? And he confesses, I'm a cheat. And then the angel, the man, says, no longer a cheat. You're a prince. You're a son. You're accepted. Hosea said, Judah, you're headed to destruction. You need to look at Jacob who began his life as a cheat and a swindler and a thief. And yet we see his tenacity in the fact that he grabbed the heel of his brother, wanting to be the first. And he carried that trait even over into manhood when he wrestled with the man. Right? But that's not what Hosea calls the man. Look at Hosea chapter 12, verse 4. He strove with the angel and he prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. You say, well, he just said his name was Jacob. How do you know he confessed his sin? Because he wept. He wept and he sought mercy. That's what the word favor means. He wept and he sought mercy. Now we're getting a clue to who this is that he's wrestling with, right? Because you don't seek mercy from an angel. You seek mercy from God. He sought mercy. He met God at Bethel. He's drawing in another instance in his life. And there he spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. Look at Genesis 35. This third story that they're told, look at Jacob. Look at his birth. Look when he wrestled with the angel. Look at when he met with God. Genesis 35, verses 1, beginning in verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us go to Bethel so that I may make an altar there to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods, and Jacob 
buried them under the trees. And they journeyed, and a terror fell upon them, the cities, as they journeyed. And they were given safe passage so that they did not pursue, the people did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. And he and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and he called the place God, the house of God, El Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried. God appeared to Jacob again a second time when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar In that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stones. He poured out a drink offering on it and he poured oil in it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. And Hosea says, Judah, the tribe of kings, look back to Jacob and see that though he began his life a cheat and a usurper, he found grace, favor in the eyes of God. When he confessed his sin and wept bitterly for a blessing which only God could give, he received it at Bethel. He received the blessing. Look back, Judah, before you are destroyed. This is the name of the Lord, the memorial name of God. Exodus 3, verse 14, Moses said, If I go to the people and they ask, Who sent you? What should I say? And God said, tell them I am sent you. The God of your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Lord is my name. You shall tell them the Lord sent you. That is the memorial name of God. Yahweh. In that Hebrew word, we find the smaller word for to be, speaking of the fact that God is. His memorial name is Lord. And is it any question that that name, which is above every name, will be pronounced over the nations? Is there any question that in His Son, Jesus Christ, He has shown not only that His name is Lord, But it is Lord and Savior. And it is at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He's saying, Judah, you're headed to judgment and destruction. Look back to Jacob, the lying, cheating forefather you had who cried out for mercy from God and received it from God. The Lord is his name. In that name, the Lord, you will find your salvation. It's the memorial name of God, Yahweh. 
to be. God is calling his people to repentance, calling them to faith. And he gives them an example, their father, Jacob. We are a lot like Jacob. May I just say that quickly? I'm a lot like Jacob. You're a lot like Jacob. Scared to death of God, but not fearing God. Scared because he, we know about God, but we don't know him very well. When Jacob came to the Jabbok and he was approaching Esau, he began to send his possessions to Esau. I said that earlier, didn't I? Some of you are doing that with God even now. You're hearing this message about the fact that you're a cheat and a liar and a thief. And that like Jacob, you have no claim on God. And you begin to say in your heart, well, I'll give him, I'll give him my possessions. I'll buy his love. Oh, I'll, I'll give more to the church. More money. More time. I'll help more people, God. I'll even serve you. And God is letting you give wave after wave, layer after layer. And what I hope happens for you is what happened for Jacob. I hope you one day find yourself all alone. Nothing left to give except yourself. And then God says, who are you? Are you your money? I don't need your money. Are you your family? I'm not looking for your family. Are you your success? I don't need your success. Are you your service? I don't need your service. Who are you? And oh, that our answer would be, I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a coveter. I'm an idolater. I'm an adulterer. I am rotten to my very essence. In that moment, Jacob went from knowing about God to knowing God. Grasping the heel of Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, he didn't wrestle with a mere angel that night. He wrestled with God himself, Hosea says. Grasping the pre-incarnate Christ, he would not let him go. And when he was commanded to let him go, his response was, I won't let you go until you bless me. And Jesus' response, the pre-incarnate Son of God's response was, I cannot bless you until you know who you are and who I am. What is your name, Jacob? I'm a cheat. I can't bless you, God said, until you know you have nothing to offer me. I don't want your sheep. I don't want your goats. I don't want your rams. I don't want your camels. I don't want your wives. I don't want your children. I don't want your servants. I want you, Jacob. Who are you? What are you? What is your name? Say it. Confess it. God draws his people to faith. 
when will you stop playing games with God and giving Him this part and that part and this hold and that hold on your life and just say, I'm undone. I am who I am. I'm a sinner to the very core. Anything I offer you is sin. Oh God, I have no hope. Bless me. Have favor with me. Mercy me. Give me grace. When will you stop continually offering God some part of your life and submit your life? Jesus said in Luke 9, 52, you can't go bury your daddy and follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. You can't go tell your family bye and still hold on to relationships with them and follow me. You have no relationships with them. Your relationships with me. If you will follow me, you better count the cost. What man builds a tower but first sits down and calculates what it will cost him. That's what Jacob was doing at the Jabbok. That's what Hosea is calling Israel and Judah to do. Sit down and take account of what it's going to cost you to repent. Not this half-hearted repentance you offered in Hosea 6. Take that stuff Away from my presence, God would say. Sit down and be serious. Don't offer me sacrifices. Don't offer me drink offerings. Don't offer me your possessions. I want you. And you can't do it on your own. Some of you, when I was... Saying what I've been saying, you said, oh, that's it, I'm going, I'm going to do it. And in that, you're like the first Jacob, not the second. Notice Jacob, when he was broken and convicted, didn't say, okay, God, I get it, I'm going to live for you now. No, he said, bless me, have favor with me, have mercy on me. He didn't offer God anything It's in terms of service. He offered him everything in terms of who he was. Look at the verse 5 in Hosea 12. The Lord is his memorial name, verse 6, so you return and hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Is that what it says? So you get up and do something for God. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? So you, by the help of God, return. What I'm saying to you is that you can't do it. You may be here lost. You may be in the category of the previous Jacob, the usurper, the liar, the cheat. And you may say, I want to be a son of God. I want to be Israel. If your first response is, I'm going to do it, you're not there yet. You don't understand. God has not enlightened the eyes of your heart. Let everyone here who has ears hear this statement. The only way you will ever be saved is when you come face to face with who you are and that you have absolutely nothing, nothing that God 
desires. You can't serve him enough. You can't obey him enough to earn his favor. If you have ears to understand this, understand the only hope you have is to wait on God, to call out to him, have mercy on me, O God, for I'm a sinner. I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. I'm a stealer. I'm a thief. I'm an adulterer. Help me, O God, or I cannot be helped. It's the only hope you have. Anything else is death. You can't come back to God in love, which is displayed in justice. The first commandment in verse 6 is covered by hold fast to love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all of your mind. And the second commandment is covered in the word justice because love doesn't sit inactive, it's active. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's justice. And wait on the Lord. Judah is called to wait for God with enduring faith. There's a, there's a, there's a lot here that we're not going to get to. Maybe it's best for us if we leave thinking about what it means to come to the end of ourself and look to the only one who offers hope. His name is the Lord. And may I just ask a probing question at the close. When was the last time, or have you ever, wrestled with God? I'm afraid that some have rushed in where angels fear to tread. I'm afraid that some of us are so churchy, so religious, that we think we have birthright to the throne room of grace. And we've bypassed the only access we have, which is Jesus Christ. That's what Jacob did. I can just hear Rebecca now telling Jacob in the tent while Esau's off hunting. God told me, your brother's going to serve you. God told me, Jacob, you're the one he loves. He's going to bless you, son. But Jacob foolishly rushed in to take what God can only give. So when his brother came in from the field, he said, Oh, you're hungry? I got some stew. How about your birthright? That wasn't God's plan. That was Jacob's plan. He was rushing in. He saw the goodness of his God and he said, Oh, I'm going to take that. It's mine. His dad was dying. He thought if he's dying and he blesses Esau, I have no hope. I better take it. Because God promised it. I'm going to take it. It's mine. And he rushed in to take what God can only give. And some, I'm afraid, here have presumed on God. You've said... 
I deserve salvation. I've been in church my whole life. I've prayed. I've read my Bible. I've given. I believe in the facts of the Scripture. I believe all that Carlton and others teach about Jesus. I believe all that stuff. I must deserve God's mercy and grace. And like Jacob, you just rush right in. And all I'm asking is that you stop and wait on God and examine, wrestle with who He is and say, do I know this God? And does He own me? Have I come to the end of myself or am I still earning my salvation? Do I hold to Christ alone and refuse to be denied the blessing of salvation? Oh, that we would hold to Christ and Him alone. That we would not presume on grace, but that we would simply come to the end of ourselves and receive God's gift and be His sons. No longer cheats, but princes, sons of God. I pray that that will be the case for all of you. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for our Father.